Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you. You said where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. Thank you for the gathering of champions this morning. Thank you for the gathering of people that the Lord has called. Thank you because in on a day in eternity past, you decided that on this day, these people will be gathered here to worship you. Thank you for bringing to pass that which you have said. And thank you because your counsel will stand and you will do of your own great pleasure. Lord, as we go into your word this morning, we ask that you speak to our hearts, that more than the voice of a man, they will hear you. Holy Ghost, that you speak to your children and cause all of us to hear you directly in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we please have a seat? The Lord bless you. First of all, I want to appreciate the presence of our mommy. It's always it's always wonderful to see our OGs. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, welcome and the Lord bless you. We are once again we are happy to see you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, for like two weeks now, we've been trying attempting to look at the school of the Holy Spirit, what that means, and how we can enroll and be fully part and parcel of it. We did a bit of teaching week one. We did a bit of, we did not do any teaching week two because the Holy Spirit came to teach us himself. And this is week three now. And there's a chance we will do this until the convention. And then we'll start something else. Hallelujah. So this morning, you know, the last time we were speaking of, can, all, can we just concentrate, please? Let's be calm in Jesus' name. We were talking of the fact that one of the first things we must do as children of God is that you have to write. It is impossible to learn if we do not write things down, if we not make notes of those things. We also looked at the fact that we have to, we always have to engage. One of the key words we had was engagement. There is no point listening to the word if you are not going to engage with the word. It is in interacting with the word that you find the power that is in the word. So you see many people and, you know, it's interesting that Daddy was speaking about this a few days ago also. That, you see, it, it doesn't matter how, how I've had about two or three servants of God say it this week. That it doesn't matter how much, how powerful a mind you have. Many, many things you will forget. Many, many things need to be brought back to your remembrance. And one of the ways you do that is by interacting with the word engaging with the word you go back to listen or you you read you know there's a reason they tell us read your bible every day because if you don't then you are not the life in that word doesn't really get real to you and then we also looked at meditation the, the, the bible scriptures say that this book of the lord shall not depart out of your mind 
you have to meditate on it day and night. So what, one of the things, practices that we have developed as children of God is that we have learned to read, but we have not learned to study and we have not learned to meditate. So you see people say, I read 20 chapters of the scriptures every day. And what I say to people like that, congratulations. There is the place of reading. There is the place of, it, I'm not saying you, you should not read 20 chapters by, per day, but you must know that there's the place of re, general reading where you are just like, okay, I want to read through the Bible in three months. And then you just go, okay, if I, and you've done the calculations. If I do 30 chapters per day in three months, I'll finish. That is a good thing to do. That is a good thing to do. But when you have done reading, then you also need to study. And studying is now where you drill down on that thing that you have read. So one of the things you could do, excuse me, is that when you are reading, things that catch your attention, you mark them. You mark them. You, you put a dot in your Bible. This one catches my attention. And then when you have done the reading, then you now go back to the one, those things that caught your attention. You now take them one by one and then start to study. Oh, this thing that caught my attention, was it spoken of elsewhere? Who said it? How did they say it? What was the context? You know, I was, I, I was telling us about Jonah, was it on Friday? And the fact that you, there, there are so many lines you could draw with the story of Jonah. That is where you come to study now that Nineveh, it was called the fish city, such that, and it was started by Nimrod. And the fact that Jonah, when he was refusing to preach, he was swallowed by a fish. So God was using those analogies to drill down the point to, to them. And eventually the city was destroyed just like Jonah was swallowed. So if you, if you now say, I want to study Jonah, there are about three perspectives to studying Jonah. Jonah was a representative representation of the church. How many times has the church been, I mean, you know, go and preach. I know mommy here would testify. Go and preach, go and preach, do evangelism, do this, do this. When you ask them next Sunday, did you go? Mm, no, Jonah, representation of the church. On the other hand, Jonah himself is also a representation of Christ. Because when Christ was talking, he said, there will be no sign given to you except the sign of the son of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the son of God will be in the belly of the earth. So it was also a representation of Christ. And also it was also a representation of the nation of Israel. So then you, you've read the book of Jonah. You've just done all the chapters you finished. And then you, that is reading. And then studying is now, what does this guy represent? Every character in the scripture has a lesson as a representation. For example, you take the seven churches that Jesus was speaking to in Revelation, and there are many ways you can look at it. Okay, seven churches in the sense that if you look at it, you see that it's a progression. At some, they, they, they were in trouble, then at some point they started overcoming, overcoming, and then they got to the point that they became overcomers, and then they became comfortable, and then they start to lose their first love, and then they got start, and at the end of the day, there was only a remnant left. You can read the seven, chap seven churches like that. Or you can look at the seven churches in the sense that right now, every, every church 
on this planet right now is in one of those stages. There is the persecuted church right now. There is the apostate church right now. There are people that have become comfortable right now. There are churches that are following their first love right now. You understand? So when you have done your reading through the Bible, then you start to pick those things warm. That is why it takes long. When they say it takes a long time to know God, it is true. Because the time it will take you to actually do, if you, if you decide to take the book of Genesis, you want to look at Adam and Eve. You want to study get some study materials and look at Adam and Eve, why they fell and all these things. And all, you, it takes a lot. You will read a lot of, if you read around it, you will read a lot of Holy Ghost-inspired writings and explanations about those things. But you'd also quickly find out that there were other people that also had their versions of events. The Jews, for example. Because when you, when you study scriptures, you must understand that there is the Jewish perspective to many of the, much of the scriptures. There is the Christian perspective to many of the scriptures. And one of the places we fall is that we struggle to draw the line where they are Jews, where the scripture is addressing the Jews and when it has switched to addressing the church. That's the major problem of Matthew 24. Because it was Jews that came to Jesus and said, show us what will be the signs of the time. And then people have some people have concluded that that chapter was referring to the problem of the Jews. Whereas if you read through that passage, you'll be seeing times where Jesus was talking of the world, the world, the world. So he said the world, but because it was Jews that asked the question, some people conclude it's the Jews. Other people will say, okay, that matter doesn't concern the Jews. It's just the church. The, the skillfulness of rightfully dividing the word of truth takes time, takes persistence, takes courage. You won't give up. So one of the best questions, one of the best prayers you can pray is that the Holy Ghost will strengthen your filter such that even, so, okay, I was just doing a study recently and I saw, what's his name now? Um, I was, I just, it just occurred to me that what happened to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, that was that that was defied by the people of Shechem, and so I was just reading. I wasn't. It wasn't. It was just like googling and just reading different things. What happened? I was just curious because the Bible mentioned that in about two places. One was when she went to the to the people of Shechem and she was defiled. The second time was when they were listing the people that went down to Egypt. Her name was there, so we know that she traveled down to Egypt with Jacob, you know, they listed the 70 people. There were 70. Her name was mentioned. So we know she also made it to Goshen with, the, with Jacob and all the brothers. And, and my question was, what happened to her afterwards? And I saw a lot of things. One of the things I saw was that she, she was actually a child. So people believe, I'm just saying the things you see. Somebody was like, okay, like she was about 10 years old, actually. She wasn't that grown when she just went to play and this guy did the things he did to her. Another one said eventually that she actually had a child from that whole scenario 
the child ended up with her in Egypt. And eventually that child in question, there was some drama that ended up with just Joseph actually marrying the daughter she gave back to. You will find all sorts of constructions from details that the scripture did not give. But now the way you filter those things is that number one, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sometimes just flat out says that one is nonsense. You just bin it. Sometimes the Holy Ghost starts to, sometimes the Holy Ghost might not say it's nonsense, but by comparing scriptures with another scripture and another scripture, the Bible says the scripture is not, the Bible is not capable of private interpretation. So one of the ways you quickly know you are interpreting a passage in error is if you cannot find another passage that buttresses your interpretation, just know. Just once you say this passage, this is what has come into your spirit, that this is what this passage means. You must now go and find another one. That Because the scripture operates on the principle of in the matter of two or three witnesses. If you cannot find a second witness in the Bible, you cannot find a third witness in the Bible. That's your concept. Don't say it, don't say it out loud yet, though. Just hide it until such a day where the Holy Ghost will lead you to another scripture or until such a day that the Holy Ghost will reveal to you that that your perspective does not work. We understand. But all of this, you start to develop the skill for these things as you actually engage with your Bible. If you read only KJV, there are certain interpretations you will have until you read another version and you realize it doesn't say, it, it, it doesn't explain it the way you thought. The reason, because, number one, the age of the KJV, the language of KJV, either seated, either standard, either run it, you know, that kind of run it, um, right division, make it plain that either reads it may run. The interpretation that most of us have is that write it so that when somebody reads division, the person can start running on the strength of what they have read. So you know that interpretation is that, okay, I've read it. This is what it says. Let me now start behaving or let me start ordering my life on the basis of what that vision says. That's, isn't that what most of us know? Until you read it in other, other versions and you realize that what he was saying, that write it to be so big that somebody that is actually running can still read. You see the difference? So it's not, it's not that read it and start running. It is that let it be so legible, like, like a, a, a signboard, that even somebody that is running past cannot say he did not see. You can open your Bible, check different versions, you will understand. So studying and meditating in scriptures is, 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 is fun. Is something that we should seek to engage in. Try to, you know, if you have read, you've read the book of John, you've read the book of John, fine. And then now go back to the book of John and say, how many times did God mention the word light? I mean, what was the perspective of the book of John? One of the things I personally do, this is not even what I'm preaching. I don't know why I'm saying this. But one of the things I personally do is that I, I try to, I have a Bible. That it's a KJV Bible, but I, I don't know. We've seen those kind of Bibles that they will give you an introduction at the beginning to the book, 
So those are, if, 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 in my own opinion, you should first read that introduction before you read verse one, chapter one, verse one. Because my favorite, one of my favorite books, the book of Galatians, it, it, it was, the, the premise was that John, Paul had preached, they had believed, and then some people came and started saying, number one, that what Paul said was rubbish. Number two, that how come Paul, what is his qualification as an apostle to come and be saying those things he was even saying in the first place? So when Paul was going to respond, that was the response in the book of Galatians. That's why towards the end he said, henceforth, let no man trouble me because I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He was saying, all, if we were saying, if you make a list of everything that qualifies men as an apostle, there is none of it that I don't have. He wasn't talking of the fact that he has been beaten. It wasn't the beating. It wasn't the, 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 the drowning. It wasn't the, the stoning. It, wasn't, it was saying that I have in my body every mark of Christ. Everything. If you say Christ is this, if you say Christ is this, if you say Christ is this, Paul was saying that all those, that your checklist, there is none of it that you won't find in me. That's why we say things like Jesus appeared to all the apostles, then he appeared unto me also. Because one of the arguments was that as an apostle, you must have seen Jesus. So he came back and said, of course I've seen Jesus. He appeared to me on the way to Damascus. He taught me for three years. You, you understand? So it's, and then they will say, the Lord appeared to me and said, the Lord appeared to me and said, all those things were things that were considered marks of apostleship. You cannot be a servant of God if you have not met the man, the God that you claim to be a servant. And you see many people today, people speaking for God when they have not even met God. People, have you, was it, who was, somebody was saying, I don't know if it was that that was saying it this week, that, or someone, that the man had been a pastor for years. And dad had a story like that. He went to prison that the man had been a pastor for years until dad went to preach and the pastor of the church himself came out to be born again yes the pastor himself came out that i want to be born again the question is what were they doing before who were they serving before which god was in their midst before that the pastor now came out and said, and the, the second question is, if the pastor just got born again, what are we going to do? Should we continue service? Should we close our doors? Abida, if I come here and kneel down here and say, I want to be born again today, all of you, will you come here next Sunday? So you see, that's why we, we see a lot of, I was listening to, I saw an unfortunate video recently of a, a, a man that called himself an apostle, a bishop or something. And he was saying, he was, he, he was talking about his spiritual father. And he said, I don't care for the Bible. I don't care for Jesus, but my spiritual father. And he was mentioning that that man, whatever that man, he was saying that whatever his spiritual father says is the hand of Martha. But he didn't, he didn't even open his Bible that day. Uh, no, let's leave the Bible. Let's leave Jesus. But my father and the Lord. Which Lord now? 
<laughs> which which lord but that is the when when because when we say people are not coming to church people are not finding the truth you must ask yourself which people you must you know some i, I like sometimes i just sit down and i'm doing some of his analysis like which people because in this i remember when we were looking for a venue before we ended up here i i don't know how many places i called and they will say, ah, our hall is available. But the problem is another church is using it by 10 o'clock. Another one is using it by 12 o'clock. Another one is using it by, so you can have it by 3 p.m. And I'll say, no, I'm not doing 3 p.m. service. Thank you. I'll call another one. Oh, another one church. Is... There was none of those halls that was not in use on a Sunday morning. And most of them were in use multiple services. Now, the question is, there are people going there. How come we cannot see the influence of those people? How come it doesn't look like there is a church in the nation when there is actually when there are actually hundreds of churches doing service every morning? What are we doing? What exactly are we doing? I was showing somebody a video recently and. <laughs> It is well. It, it is well in Jesus' name. If I say now, I want to, I want to take all of us to, I want to take all of us to, or maybe the media department said they want to do some, uh, some get together. You know, you can do get together. That's okay. Like maybe the media team or the ushers want to get together and all that. And but then you get there and the the music playlist <laughs> you know you know what i'm talking about if those are the people in charge of your mic and your speaker on sunday no wonder the Holy Ghost cannot come through it's true we are okay uh when some people are coming here this morning they are challenges getting a cab because they are they said all the drivers were on they were doing celebrations today. And you start to see, people are not here now because most likely the train driver <laughs> is on holiday because he's celebrating. You start to understand that people, kind of, yet there are people that will not come to church because they, they want to go work on Sunday. Whereas your train driver, who is of another religion would abandon you and your train. How many of you have seen train drivers that say it's time to go home before? What do they do? They will pack the train and go home. They will put it off. It doesn't matter that all of you are inside. If somebody is supposed to come and take over the shift and the person does not come, they will put it off, leave it there, carry their bag and go home. <laughs> it's your, you are the one that, you, you understand? So there is a measure of seriousness that we seem that we seem to see around us in places that we say they don't know God, they don't trust God. They don't. I was having a conversation with a, 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 a Muslim friend co-worker at one point, and you could see the passion in her heart that people were not taking religion seriously. She knew I'm a Christian. She's a Muslim. And we were just talking, and our, one of our biggest pains was that people don't even care for God anymore. 
that they don't even that that people just say I'm religious now for the fun of it. And and I was asking that okay, everybody's at work from morning to evening. You don't have time to do your yes, there is a prayer room at work, but you don't really have time to do how do you do your five times per day? And she was saying that she was saying that she would collate all the hours when she gets home. The first thing she will go and do is that all the prayers she missed, she will go and do everything. Before she now says, okay, what am I going to eat tonight? How many of you kill uh, morning devotion like it is? How many of you forget to do morning devotion in the morning and go back to do it in the evening? How many, how many people can say that they do money devotion every day? How many children of God can say that? There is a level of dedication that must come into our soul. And that's why we are looking at the, 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 the school of the Holy Spirit. Because it is only the, only, the, the, the greatest treasure that a child of God has is the Holy Spirit. If you don't know him, you are not, you are not, going, to, you are not going to survive. You, you see the political landscape. In the, last, in the last two, three weeks, you've seen all the drama that has happened everywhere. A prime minister resigns. They shot another one. Did you see the Japanese, former Japanese prime minister that they shot? Man just walked up to him. Like, it wasn't that he shot him from a distance. He just walked up to the man was giving his speech. Walked up to him and bam, bam, and they they grabbed the man that shot him on the spot. So it wasn't like he was hiding somewhere to do it. He came forward with boldness to shoot the man in his face. The distance between the two of them was like this stand here and where I'm standing, and he shot him twice. Bam, bam, and that was it. And the man died. There is going to be a boldness of evil. Where, you know somebody that is going that had planned to shoot like that was not planning to leave. Either that they arrested him or that some security guy will shoot him and kill him. The man was not planning to go back home. He already knew. So at some point, one, one day we would look at what the gospel is. I, was, I said it one time, but we have not done it. That there is an offensive component <laughs> to the gospel. You can package jesus all you want but jesus himself when he was on earth, the ones he took cain to the temple to beat the one he said you know he was preaching and 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 and, and everybody said and they said ah we believe we believe i just said if you believe you'll be my disciple indeed go and read that passage the last verse of that passage says that they were going to stone jesus the same Jesus they said, we believe, we believe, we believe. By the end of that conversation, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. So there are certain things that you would have to say in, 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 about God and you expect that people will not like you. It is what it is. That is part of bearing the cross of Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, let's quickly read Philippians chapter 4. Let's start from there this morning. Philippians chapter 4. From verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, 
if there be any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, it says meditate on these things. New, uh, old KJV says think on these things. Verse 9 says the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me this do and God's peace will be with you. Amen. You know, he mentioned four things in that verse 9. It says, those things which you have both learned, received, heard, and seen. You've learned it, you've received it, you've heard it, you have seen it, and now he's saying, do. You notice that there's none of those things that is actually passive. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be open to receive. You have to be willing to listen. And then you have to open your eyes to see. And then when you have done those four, then you can actually do. Learning speaks of things that, like we're in church now, we're learning of scriptures and all that. But there's also receiving. So there is doing at the end, but you can, when you are talking of doing what you, you can do when you have learned something, you can do when you have received some, there are things that nobody will teach you, that it will just dawn on you by the Holy Ghost. There are also things that you would hear. There are also things that you will see. But unless you are engaging those four ways of absorbing the truth, it will be difficult for you to do. So many, many times when we say, why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? We will have to check if the person is actually learning, if the person is actually receiving anything of the Holy Ghost. Is the person actually hearing or is the person actually seeing? So when you have believers that you seem, they, they seem to be to be struggling to do certain things, the first question is, are they receiving truth enough that is going to enable them to do what you want them to do? So, for example, we have members that we say, um, come, to, come to prayer. Come to prayer. Let's average it. Let's average it. Let's average it. And maybe you know people that they, it doesn't matter how many times you announce. You can announce until you are blue in the face they will not come to that prayer. The question now is, have they caught a revelation of what prayer means? Have they learned? You know, it's possible to be in class and the teacher is teaching and nobody's learning. You know, it's possible. I can be preaching like this and nobody's listening. It's possible. So the question is, the person that you're saying, do this, come to prayer, pray, 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 pray. Do they understand prayer? Do they, do they even know how to pray? Do, you, do they know the facilities that are available for them to be able to pray like they are supposed to pray? If they don't have that, it will be difficult for them to pray. When, it's the same thing with giving. When you say give, 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 and people don't give, do they understand what giving means? Do they have a revelation of what giving does for them or to them? Are we clear about what they should expect when they give? Because what has happened, I was, I was addressing this on my status some days ago, like 
when you say give and it shall be given unto you, that is a promise in the Bible, isn't it? Is it Luke 7 7 or so? Give and it shall, is it 7 10 or so? Luke, give and it shall be given to you and all that. Malachi talks of opening the windows of heaven. Also, like you understand. So there is the provision in the scripture that if you give, you will receive. But that is not the only provision in scriptures. There is a posture of give. The Bible now addresses the posture of giving when it now says God loves a cheerful giver. That is, you, if you start looking to, you start seeing postures of giving. Number one is that God loves a cheerful giver. So if you go to go, come to God and you give God a million pounds and you are grumbling about it, God is not going to take it from you. Another posture of giving is, is when the scripture says, when you stand to give your offering and you realize that you have something or somebody has something against you, what does it say? That thing you want to give, put it down. Don't offer it yet. You know what many of us do is that you offer it and say, I'll go and deal with the person later. No. It's that same principle is when you pray. You want to start praying and the Holy Ghost says, hmm, there is this matter. And you say, don't worry, Lord. When I finish praying, I'll go and address the matter. You have prayed to yourself. Stop. Go and address that matter. And then come back and continue your prayer. So it says when you want to give and you remember that there's an issue with somebody else, don't give the offering yet. Put it on the ground. Go and look for the person and go and settle the matter. And when you have settled it, come back and offer your offering. Those are postures of giving. So if you, the, the person that is giving and saying, I'm not receiving, question number one is that, are you actually giving or you are just donating your money? Because if you are just donating your money, you are not going to get anything back from God. So number one is that you give correctly. Another posture is give, of giving is that you can't be saying to God that um, I want to give your friends when you have not paid your tithe. You, your, your first 10% is a posture of, of is, is what you give to God. You now take offering from what, whatever. Your, your offering is up to you. You understand? Your offering is dependent on, on the state of your heart and your ability. And, and God does not prescribe to you what your offering should be. You, you are the one that will decide what you want to give as offering. But that type, that 10%, God insists on it. And people will say, we are not under the law. We are under grace. We shouldn't give offering. We shouldn't be doing tight. We shouldn't be... Forgetting that Abraham himself that first gift tithe was not under the law. Abraham was, was, was Moses' ancestor, and the law didn't come until Moses came. So was Abraham under the law when he was giving offering to Melchizedek? <laughs> and then when you now come back and say, you know, you know in, in the Old Testament, the law didn't, wasn't too, too, too oh, you, you've sinned. You bring a bull. They kill the bull. You are, your sins are covered. In the New Testament, when you want to give, you give God with everything that makes you, you. So when you stand before God, you stand in the righteousness of Jesus, you stand with the blood of Jesus, you stand with the holiness, you stand with the obedience, you stand with your sacrifice, you stand with everything that makes you, you. So in, in the New Testament, offer yourself as living 
So God in the Old Testament is not asking for what you have to give. He's not asking for your goat. He's not asking for your ram. He's not asking for, he's asking for what? You. So which one is easier? <laughs> which, one, which one is actually easier? To, 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 you know, to go and sin, know that, you know, imagine if you could do the math that this sin, you know, somebody, <laughs> somebody sent me a video this week and I, I think it was a joke. It must have been a joke. It was a video of an advertisement. And the advertisement, you know that in, in certain Christian circles, you, you pay for your sin. You know that, that, that you go to the priest and say, I sinned. You do your confession and they say, that your sin that you confess is going to cost you 100 pounds. And then you pay the 100 pounds. and you, you know what I'm talking about. So this, this advertisement was an advert for an app where you, you, you don't need to go and look for the cash. So the church in question came up with this app. You just select the sin. <laughs> oh my God. You select the sin and you scroll to the bottom and click pay. And you would have, you would have put your, uh, your debit card number and all the details. So when you say pay, the money will just go processing, paid. So in short, you can, if you want now, you can start preparing for sin. I'm about to go and lie to somebody. Let me pay for lying <laughs> before I go and lie. Oh my God. God will help us in Jesus' name. So, so, so now I was talking, the, so now there is the posture of giving. Now you have given and you have given unto God correctly. And now it's time to receive. The question is, what do you expect to get back from God? And how do you receive? The Lord comes to you and says, hmm. when Solomon gave, you, you, when, you know, you now start to look through the Bible. When people gave to God, what did God give them back? You understand? Solomon killed a thousand rams, a thousand goats, offered sacrifices. And God came and said, what do you want me to do for you? And he asked for wisdom. What did God give him? The first thing God gave Solomon was not money, or anything. it was an audience. An audience. The first thing was that God came. People usually now, people start that by thinking of the fact that he asked for wisdom. They forget back that God came. How many people can say like that in scriptures that God himself came and said, son, what do you want me to do for you? And I, I, I heard the sound of God, I was saying that he and his wife, they went somewhere and then the wife just felt in her spirit that, so they went to see an elderly servant of God. And so the wife took some of the tapes that of the messages of the husband, took the tapes and gave the servant of God they went to see as a gift. Uh, on top of everything else, they bought, uh, these tapes. Uh, uh, and she gave. And then next thing they noticed is that the, the wife, the gift of prophecy became active. And the servant of God was saying, Lord, you know I am the one that preached those messages that she gave away. 
And the Lord said, why are you the one that gave them? You preach them, yes. But why are you the one that gave them? She sold tapes and honor. She ripped prophecy. You go see a servant of God and they will lay hands on you. give them one small thing. Maybe you buy them a shoe or them, and then they lay hands on you and bless you and things that that would otherwise be beyond reach certainly come, they, they, they suddenly come within reach. So when you give, when if, if, if money, if you give God money, thinking that what you want back is money, you are poor in your mind. Of all the things that God represents, of all the things God can give, it is the God has become your investment banking now, Shay. You put your ATM card in, you must just cough out some money. That is all you get from God now. You know, God was giving me an, a, a picture this week that if you, if, so, if, if God has called somebody to be your spiritual father, like we have a father in the house, and you insist that that person should just be your friend, the person can be your, you know, it's possible. You know, there are people that they are supposed to be spiritual father. But some people will say, this one, you can only be, I, I, I'm sure I've seen, growing up, I've seen people like that, around that, that it is when they need help for something quickly. Or people that have seen him as uh, uncle, Kinika, or auntie, you understand? People that don't see the sound of God as just an uncle or an auntie or something or something or something like that. What now happens is that what the, the side of them that you demand for you know, you know, when you're a father, there is you there is a friendship component to a father, isn't it? Your father would your, your father would smile at you, your father will play with you, your father would be your friend in that sense, but he's more than friend, his father. So certain corrections that your friend might not be big enough to say to you, your father will let you know. You understand? But if you have not decided that this person cannot be more than friend, then it is you that misses out on the other sides, other components, other sides of that person. The person doesn't lose anything. But it is you that have said, this man, you won't go past being my friend. It is you who loses the fathering component. It is you who loses the covering component. It's, that's why you, you, you will see, I've seen it. I still saw it this year that one of, that still makes me sad. When, when you see someone say, ah, that is my uncle, and you leave the person at uncle face, the day trouble comes for you, God might not go and warn your uncle. But if that person was father to you, there's a good chance that God will warn the person for your sake. It was one of the problems that Lot had with Abraham. Abraham was uncle. If have you you've read that story? If two uncle, if if two if Lot and Abraham, you it wasn't that Lot and Abraham were having issues. It was that Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. You've read this. You want us to go find it? It was. It wasn't that Lot and Abraham started to argue. No, it was that Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen started. To have clashes, you know, you know, you know, many of those people they bought them, many of those people they 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 just came and like, let me work with you for the year and I'll pay you. So those people were like hired servants, 
or bought slaves. So they didn't share the loyalty. They didn't share any bond with Abraham and Lot. They were only working to get paid. So if this herdsman of Lot says, I need to feed my cow here, and the other herdsman says, I won't feed my own cow. You want my own cow to be lean so that the boss can fire me. So they started fighting. And Lot said, on the basis of the fact that their herdsmen were fighting, let us separate. That means he didn't value the fact that men, all the things he had, he had because of Abraham. The journey he went through that made him who, made, who he was, was because of Abraham, but he was too blind to see. So he said, let's separate. And then they stood and, and, lots, and, and Abraham said, Lot, choose. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. That also should have let him know that it didn't matter where Abraham went. It wasn't, it wasn't the land, it was the man that was coming. It was about what was in Abraham. Abraham was so secure in the, in the covenant of God over his life that he said, if you go right, Abraham, didn't Abraham know that Sodom was there? If it was Abraham that ended up in Sodom, you think that would have happened in Sodom? Abraham said, if you let go left, if you, if you go right, and he looked, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain and said, it was lush and beautiful. Ah, Sodom. And he went. And the Lord came to Abraham and said, from where you are standing, <laughs> look left, look right. So even the Sodom that, even the Sodom that Lord collected was Abraham's property. It was a loan. You, are, you don't understand me. Even that one that Lord think, thought that he chose, <laughs> the landlord was Abraham. That was why when God was going to go destroy Sodom, God had to come and see the landlord. Lot was not the landlord. Lot, Lot, Lot moved there, but Lot was not the landlord. So the landlord of Sodom was Abraham. But because Lot didn't see Abraham as well, Lot should have been like a firstborn to Abraham because he was actually the son of Abraham's brother. So he should have taken Abraham as his father, but he took him as Uncle Abraham. Uncle Abraham. And we, we see how he ended up. So the, 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 Lord help us. Hmm. So the things that we need to ask of first are the grace to learn, the grace to receive, the grace to hear, and the grace to see. Because you can preach all you want. If the person you are preaching to cannot see, I'm sure it has happened to us here. You are, have you been trying to explain something to somebody and you explain and explain and, and the person doesn't understand? And you say, wait, let me think how I can explain again. Okay, if you look at it this way and you explain it and the person still doesn't see and then you say, again, okay, let me explain it this way. And the person still does not see it. If the person never gets it, will the person never be able to do it? That's the problem. So beyond do this, do that, do is is the prayer that Lord opened the eyes. The servant came to Elijah and said, ah, my Lord, we are in trouble. 
I woke up this morning to go and fetch water and I saw that they have surrounded us. And the servant of God said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And then he saw and realized that those that are for them were more than those that were against them. You know when you want to swallow somebody and the person you want to swallow, there's somebody behind you that's about to swallow you that you think you want to swallow somebody else. But if you cannot see that, Bible says, for the glory that was set before the Lord Jesus, he endured the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, you think he was focusing on the pain. He was focusing on the glory that will come. The body of Jesus was on the cross. His mind was on reuniting with the Father. That's why when he finally cried out, he said, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? I didn't know Jesus had, the Father had forsaken him. Because he was, he, was, he was looking at the father. It was, it was the father that was his, he was on the cross bleeding, but it was his father that was his concern. As long as you don't forsake me here, it's fine. And then the father turned his eyes because the father's eyes are too pure to be old. And then he cried, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? So he was on the cross. He was seen beyond the cross. Jesus wasn't going to the cross thinking, am I going to wake up in three days' time? He knew for a fact he was going to wake up because he was always telling the disciples that, you meet me in three, after three days, son of man will rise again. Pull down this temple and in three days they will, I will raise it up again. They thought he was talking of their temple. Their temple took them 46 years to build. So they were jealous that, uncle, you are 30. 32 years old. Before your father thought of marrying your mother, we had been building this temple. This temple is older than you. This temple is 46 years old. No, the temple, it took them 46 years to build. It wasn't 46 years old at the time. So if it took them 46 years to build, you, this tiny weenie boy, carpenter's son, you want to pull down this thing and say you build it in three days. Your arrogance knows no bound. So there were many issues they had with Jesus. Jesus was, to them, Jesus was arrogant. Jesus was always talking, my father in heaven, my father in heaven. You people don't understand. My father, my father, hi, my father, I want. So they, they had an issue of arrogance with Jesus. They had an issue of, what is this young, tiny boy? You know, they were, they were talking and said, uh, uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my days and he saw it. So that's one of my favorite scriptures. Abraham rejoiced to see. If you, if you are interested in the Bible, so they go and look for it. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. When? How? But then you go back into Genesis and you start to read where, where God said, okay, Abraham, take two birds, cut them in half. Abraham, do this, cut them in half. And if you study that part, you see that the Bible says that when it was time for the sacrifice, Abraham slept. So if Abraham was asleep, like Adam was asleep, and 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 it was and God was cutting covenant. Who was God cutting covenant with? Abraham rejoiced to see my day, <laughs> and he did. And then they came back to him and said, "You are not even fifty years old." And then he answered them, "Before Abraham was, I am." <laughs> so there were there were enough reasons to slap. <laughs> Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say I was, so I am. That means before Abraham ever existed, I've always just been there. 
to Abraham's father. Yet you came thousands about about how many years after him? About four thousand? No, maybe about two thousand years or so after him. Yet you claiming to be his father. Either you are mad <laughs> or you are mad. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the the power that, like I said, the power to do is within the fact that you can learn, you can see, you can receive, you can hear your sight, your your hearing, and your perception. Those are windows by which the Holy Ghost speaks to you. Our eyes, he opened he, he their eyes, he started to show them the scripture. So your eyes is God makes you to see, you hear, you hear wonderful things, and then you perceive. Many times, people say, I perceive, I perceive, I perceive. You see throughout scriptures, I perceive, I perceive, I perceive. Those are still the same gates that you must engage with to allow the Holy Ghost to help you. And then you can do. You see passages like 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18, let me read that quickly. It says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. So the point is, you, you, are, you are beholding as in a glass. And as you are looking, you are changing into what you see. That is the principle of studying the scriptures. As you see, as you study scriptures and you see things in scriptures, then you are starting to be changed into that which you see. As you, you know, you read something and say, Lord, help me. This person that did this thing is human being like me. Help me, help me, help me. And as you do all of that, you are changed into what you are seeing. So if you don't see it, how can you start to develop the hunger, the hunger to change into what you do not see? It's impossible. You have to see, and then you want to strive to become. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. If you have never seen a light bulb before, and I come to you and say, describe to me a light bulb. Your, you, it is nowhere, in, a light bulb is not anywhere in your imagination. So there is no way you can describe to me what a light bulb is. Even if your high Q is 255. Like literally half the scale. If you have not seen a light bulb before, you cannot describe to me what it is. But if you see, there are people that they need to see one time. It's, it's one of the graces that I don't have. If I'm driving to a place, thank God for GPS. But if I'm driving to a place and they say, uh, turn left, turn right, turn clinic, I will be lost because me, I cannot remember. Whereas if you, if you and my dad go somewhere once, he only needs to get there once to know how to get there. And one day I was asking him, that, how do you even do? He says when he's going that, he just takes mental pictures of monuments. Like, Oh, there's a cinema there. Uh, there is a train station there. That train station is called whatever it's called. You know, mental pictures. So and then when the day comes, I need to go there. Then he starts to remember those mental pictures. Okay, I remember this cinema. I remember that train station. That building was red. This was but me. I just want to go from point A to B. The color, I don't care. <laughs> and, and I found that because I don't care, I don't know. 
maybe if I cared more about details like that, maybe then I'll start to, but you know, that's how it is. If you not care about it, then you start to say, okay, you deliberately now start to take note of the cinema and the, the train station. And you will realize that you actually remember those things. But because you have not cared enough to consciously do it, you will never remember. So change from glory to glory as you behold. And he ended that passage by saying, by the spirit of the Lord. There are many things that Jesus himself wanted. Jesus said, there are many things I need to teach you, but I can't. Because you cannot bear them now. So Jesus did not even finish his teaching. He just, this place that we have gotten to, let's, let's just leave it here. Where the Holy Ghost got to, Where did Jesus got to, the Holy Ghost? The rest of it is on your head. <laughs> Me, I have tried. They have, 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 have taught them to the point that they could handle. What Jesus was saying is, I've poured water until the cup was, their cup was full. And now that their cup was full, they couldn't handle anymore. That's why what the, the last instruction Jesus gave was study in Jerusalem until you are filled. And that party, you know, when Jesus was leaving, Apostle Paul was the one that let us know that Jesus preached to, he, he saw 500 brethren. So when Jesus was leaving, he left 500 church members. And he said to all of them, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endured from power on high. When the Holy Ghost came, the Holy Ghost met 120. But that 120 included all the disciples, uh, people like Mary, the mother of Jesus, all sorts of things. You know, between the time Jesus left and the Holy Ghost came, you know how many days it was? 10 days. 10 so in 10 days, the church had gone from 500 to 120 in 10 days because they were tardy days. It was very, very fast. Who was organizing food? Everybody said, and they said every morning they would do roll call to see who was left. It's in your Bible. You said the number of them. So they had a roster. Uh, day one, everybody was present. Day two, 20 people say, ah, we want to go and find food. They went, we need to go and find food to break. They went, they broke, never came back. All sorts of things. By the time the Holy Ghost came, he met 120. But from 120, after the Holy Ghost came, Apostle Peter preached that many messages, one message, and the Bible says 3,000. So you see, 500, 120, 3,000. That's how the Holy Ghost works. So sometimes when the numbers are dwindling, sometimes you think it is, it is that people are just walking away and they don't know. Sometimes it's the Holy Ghost that is pushing them out one by one. This one cannot belong to what I'm doing. Out. This one cannot withstand what I'm doing. Out. This one. one by one like that. And then a sound of God was speaking that he was, you were praying one day and, you know, get, praying that, ah, God, why are we so small? Why is it? We are praying, we are fasting and all that and all that. Why are we so small? What is going on here? And all so the person was praying and praying and then the Lord <laughs> said, you see that your pastor there, that one, send him away. 
that was the structure. So he got up from prayer and said, eh, pastor, so, 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 you are now fired. You know, sentiment sometimes will make you think, oh boy, that guy has been, what should I do? What should I? But when God comes and says, see that pastor there? His, his race is run. The man went and said, uncle, you know I love you with all my heart and all of that. But um, you are no more pastor here. From that point to the fact that every all of, all of you now know the person now, took about three months. Three months. About three months. What that person represented, God knows. But from uncle, you need to leave to the explosion that they enjoyed. Took about three months. So they went from women to at the time they were about 40. And now they are like thousands. That is how God, you, you realize what happened when God was working with Gideon. And everybody, all this, hey, if you know how to fight, come, come, come. Everybody came. Say, if you are afraid, go back home. Do you realize that not everybody that was afraid went back home? You, uh, do you notice that? There was somebody that was afraid that did not go back home. Gideon himself. Was, he not, was Gideon not afraid? Uh, because the, the angel came and said, well, to encourage your heart, you take your servant, go down to the Midianites and go and hear. God had to give him things that would keep him steady. So go and listen to what they, and they went and they heard those one talking of a dream they had and a, a roll of barley came and smashed them and all. And then they said, ah, that's Gideon. So it, it was when Gideon realized that the people was afraid of, were afraid of him. That was when he stopped being afraid. Both of us cannot be afraid. Abina, but the, all of us cannot be afraid together. You're afraid of Gideon. Gideon was afraid of the Midianites. But the Midianites himself were already afraid of him. But he didn't know that, so he was still afraid. But when he was standing there announcing, if you're afraid, go back home. And most people went back. Imagine if he also went home. Everybody, even the ones that are not afraid before, they will go home. So even in your fears, the place to be is still before the Lord. Even when everything looks like it's not working, one of the things Satan does is that when children of God sins, that's why he always accompanies sin with shame. So that you quickly run away from God. That was what Adam and Eve did. Satan will always had shame quickly to whatever sin you have committed so that you are running from the one person that can save you. Adam and Eve ran away. So, Adam, where are you? Ah, Lord, I'm here, but I'm hiding. I'm afraid because I'm naked. Who said you are naked? Um, have you done what I said you should not do? Uh, it's the woman. The, 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 the helper you gave me is her fault. She, forgetting the fact that when they were doing the, when they were falling, they fell, and the Bible says, and the woman gave, ate it and gave to the man that was with her. It was Adam that God faced, looked at face to face and said, you people must not eat. Yet, he stood right there 
when Satan was having conversation with his own wife. And when she ate it, she handed it to him. And knowing fully well what God said, he ate it. And then he said, this is the woman. It's the woman. The, the snake that he named. It was one that had named that snake. Oh. Now he turned around and says, the woman. It, it, that's why, if, in my own opinion, if, if, if it was only Eve that ate the fruit, nothing would have happened. Uh, if she, you know, they say, you no know, people will say, if it was only the woman that ate the fruit, maybe God would have killed the woman and made another woman. No. If it was only the woman that ate the fruit and Adam never ate it, nothing would have happened to her. Nothing would have happened to Adam because she was not the one with the authority. It was Adam with the authority as long as so the woman was protected that's why the scripture says that if you hear as a man if you hear your wife make a vow and you hear it and you don't cancel it then the vow will stand but if you hear it and you cancel it the lord will forgive her and that's it the matter is ended so even if your wife or your daughter is swearing before god and, and you say keep quiet there that is not we are not going to do that god respects the voice of the man enough to cancel that vow that your wife or your son has made. But as long as God knows that you heard it and you didn't see anything, what it means is that you have given permission for what they have said to stand. So if they vow and you heard it and you didn't see anything and they don't fulfill the terms of the vow, whatever happens is on your head because you heard it and you said nothing. So Adam heard it. Adam was hearing, listening to the conversation between the and it did occur to him that way, though, this, this snake is saying things that are contrary to what God said. And also, when she ate it, he said, you know what? Let's eat. Maybe he ate it. Maybe she ate it. She gave him. He held it for a while. And let me look if she's going to turn to pillar of salt. And when nothing happened to her, he assumed that nothing will happen to him, too. We are ass. He was the one with the authority. He was the one with instruction. So, did God not know that it was he that, that heard it first? Why is it that God came and said, Adam, where are you? There is the woman. And by doing that, he transferred the responsibility and authority to the woman. So, God said, okay, you say it's the woman. Okay, Adam, stand aside. Woman, what did you do? And the woman also, unfortunately, did the same and said, they don't blame me. It's the serpent. Do you, have you noticed that God didn't even bother asking the serpent questions? Because God knew that it, wasn't, it was the devil, and God knew that the devil would, if the devil had blamed one of them, he would have transferred authority back to them. But the devil just kept quiet. So God just started placing curses on them like that. That's why when Satan now came and tempted Jesus to look for, he was saying, All authority have been given to me. That, the point where Adam said it was Eve, that was when the authority was given to her. The point where she said, is the snake, that's when the authority was given to the devil. And he, so he wasn't, he didn't steal it. They, here, here's the entire, here. Here you go. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. But you know, uh, there are other scriptures, but I won't read it because of time. Um, James 1, 25 talks of looking into the perfect law of liberty. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 talks of we believe and we speak. And so in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, 
Now one talks. This this that was Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy and say the things that you have heard of me commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So you you see four layers: Apostle Paul, Timothy, faithful men, other men, and that's how the progression is always is is always in the body of Christ. The part the set man. The pastor. That's why you know when we are praying, we say uh, we pray for our daddy and mommy. We pray for all the pastors. We pray for all the unit leaders. We pray for every member. You are Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. The problem becomes when you have Paul, you have Timothy, and you are struggling to find faithful men. And those, some of the faithful men you have cannot also teach others. So it's usually at the second, you understand what I mean? It's always at that hand that there's always an issue. So that's why we must focus to teach. Because if Timothy did not learn, he wouldn't have been able to teach faithful men. If faithful men and Paul himself didn't teach himself. He was the Lord. So Paul, Apostle Paul learned from the Lord Jesus and taught Timothy sufficiently that Timothy became the bishop. And then Timothy also learned enough and taught faithful men, and then faithful men taught other people. So that's always the progression. So I'm just going to make like a point or so, and then I'm going to peg it for today. We'll be doing the rest later. So uh, the first point, the, probably the only point I'm going to make is that God has a system and he has wisdom that is designed to make and manifest us as his sons. I'll say that again. God has a system and wisdom that is designed to mold, to make, and to manifest us as sons. And I must say that the, the, the end goal of God for us is that we live life in this world like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I must also mention the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ lived his life and faced everything we will face. It is the same set of challenges. It is just wrapped in different scenarios across different generations. We, we uh, Theologically speaking, we have, we have divided it. All of us know it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All of us know it. There is nothing outside those three. Everything, anybody, everything that the devil can bring to you is within, is one of those three. What's the lust of the flesh? The lust of the, you, the, lust of the flesh is, is temptation that arises based on something that is from inside you. Let's, let's, let's look at Luke chapter 4. the first temptation of the Lord Jesus. And let me start from verse 3. It says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. Let me start from verse 1, actually. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. 
And the devil said to him, if that be the son of God, command this stone that is that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So the lust of the flesh is something, if Jesus was not hungry, there would have been no basis for that particular temptation. So it was something from the inside. The lust of the flesh is always something from the inside. Maybe you, 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 you just have a desire that is not consistent with the will of God. You just, you just, your flesh is just asking you to act somehow. You, you know, the fact that somebody annoys you doesn't actually mean you need to be angry. Yes or no? You can choose not to be angry. You can choose not to be upset. So you, it is, that's why it is not, you cannot say, excuse me, you cannot say that because that person annoyed me. That's why I was annoyed. The person has done what the person wants to do. You are not in control of what the person does, but you are in control of your own response to what the person has done. But then when anger wants to well up, you know, you know, you know, it's like when you are in a fight with somebody, the person starts to say things. Maybe initially you are not angry, but as the person just keeps saying it, has it happened to you before that you've heard of two people fighting and they keep, you, the, you, one person keeps insulting the person. Maybe I'm insulting Tim now. I'm insulting, you see your head like this, see your leg like this, see your this like this, see your that like that. And it keeps quiet. And then I say, that's how your mother is. You know, there are people that will not be angry when you abuse them. But when you mention their father and their mother, <laughs> that's where you will find out. You know, you've been insulting him since he kept quiet. But then you said your mother. That's where you know he can fight. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the lust of the flesh is always from, the lust of the flesh is always something that arises from within you. The lust of the highs. Is, is something that is caused by something from outside you. Your eyes would have to see. It. So the loss of the flesh is internal. That something is some, an internal thing that the devil picks upon. The loss of the eyes is something external. It's a picture that Satan shows you to try to get you to do something that you would otherwise not do. That's why if you see the second, if you look at the second temptation of Jesus, that look, that that Luke chapter 4 from verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That is the lust of the eyes. He showed him, he showed him the kingdom of, he wanted Jesus to see like, ah, this is how beautiful this thing is. And then he came and said, you know, I will give it to you if you will worship me. You, you, so he, he first made sure, he first painted the picture. You, you've seen people that, 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 that go and steal money. You know that if you, if you still, if you want, if you steal government money, you have to find the, you have to have calculated how you will hide it, Abby. So Satan will convince you that you can get away with it. That, okay, if you steal the money like this, you can go and dig a hole in your house 
and bury it. Or you can give it to somebody to help you ship it out of the country. You, you know that many times people that steal money, they have calculated how they will hide it until that plan does not work. Until somebody that they didn't think will see them, saw them. You know people, you know, you sneak into a boy's house or sneak into a girl's house, do whatever you want to do. And then when you want to come out, you'll be, you'll be peeping that, shame mommy is not in the devil. And unfortunately for you that day, that's when mommy will forget something. She had gone, no, but then she forgot something. So she quickly took a bike and came back to come and pick that there. And then she catches you right there. That's what always happens with the lust of the eyes. The devil shows you a picture that you can get away with things. And then only if you do this, and then you do it, and then you realize you didn't get away. He showed Jesus all the world and said, just worship me. I mean, you nobody was, you know, it was just the two of them. It was just Jesus and Satan. Say, just worship me. And, and you would have it. Just worship me. Okay. And then he said, but the Lord Jesus knew that if you worship, this is what, if you worship, if you bow down and worship Satan, he has acknowledged Satan as Lord over him. You understand? So, so it's, it's like, it's like, you know, that proverb, all of us have heard it before. A rich man wants to die. He has a son. He has a servant. And he says, my son, you can only pick my son, because you are my son, you will pick the, you pick first, but you can only pick one thing in this house and everything else I will give to the servant. And you know, we've know, we know that story. So the boy said, okay, if I can only pick one thing in this house, I pick the servant. now. if they say, Pick one thing and everything else goes to the servant. Okay, fine. I pick the servant. So now they give everything to the servant, but you own the servant. So you own everything that the servant has. So that's what Satan was trying to do to Jesus. Like, just bow down worship. If Jesus had bowed down like that, Jesus would not have lived to enjoy the things that Satan said he would give him. He would behead him on the spot. You think Jesus would, you think Satan would actually end it to hand it to Jesus? Have you ever thought, has anybody read that temptation and thought that Satan, when if Jesus had bowed, Satan would just say, here you go, here is the kingdom of God. Kill him and send him back to where he came from immediately. And then the last one, the pride of life. The pride of life is usually like a willingness to, to it comes from the urge to be better than others. The pride of life is that you, you somehow want something that other people do not have. You, 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 you want that, 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 you know, that temptation of Jesus again, verse four, verse, um, from verse five, and the devil taking, you know, um, the third temptation from verse nine, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from thence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee, or bless thou dash thy foot against the stone. You realize that he actually took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. Imagine now, Jesus jumps down from the pinnacle of the temple. Let's even assume that he did it and nothing happened to him. What do you think would have happened? People will see him and say, hey, you look, there is no other way to introduce your ministry than something like that. 
that temple as tall as it was, you just jump down, bam, and you say, I have come. I have come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. If, if you do that, you know, so, so what the, the pride of life is that Satan tries to, you, you, you start to, he, he tries to tempt you with something that gives you, that you think will give you an advantage over other people. That's why if you look at the book of Genesis chapter 3, what Satan did was that, let me, let's quickly read it. Genesis chapter 3, I think it's verse 6. Yeah, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and then that it was pleasant to the eyes, Genesis 3, 6. That is also now the lust of the eyes. And then the third one, I said, and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Another translation says that, that you'll be wiser than, that, 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 you know, wanted an advantage, something that will make us better, perceived to be better, better than the other person. That is where the pride of life comes in. You want to say, oh, I have cars that that person doesn't have. Oh, I have money that that person doesn't have. Oh, I have children that that person doesn't have. Oh, I have property that that person doesn't have. I said, okay, that is desire. Okay, let me, let me help you. There is somebody here that if you do this, if you scam this person, if you kill this person, if you do this sacrifice, if you do that, you can have what other people do not have. That is the lost. That is the pride of life. Um, unfortunately, that's what you see in many, in many fake uh, or false pastors' ministries today, where it is more of show off, it is more of branding, it is more of let us do this in a way that we will be seen as more attractive than everybody else. I am, I am the first person. I am the I'm one of the biggest advocates of excellence that I know. And some of you can attest to that. But I also understand that beyond the need for excellence is the need for the approval of Jesus. There is no point having a system that every time the Lord Jesus looks down, the Lord Jesus is shaking his head. What is that? What is that feel? What is that feel? Such that in the name of God and the name of inclusivity, you know, I, I did a, a little survey when the whole Roe versus Wade thing happened. And I was just, just on social media, looking at, I wonder what this person said, what that person said. And you will realize that many, many of the topmost, biggest, inclusive sort of ministries you will find on the, in the world now said, they said nothing, neither good nor bad. They, they, all of them acted as if nothing happened. And you cannot act as if nothing happened when an earthquake happened. But that was what we saw because it is a thing of the pride of life where you need to maintain certain, certain your image needs to be curated. I was watching them. Many of them had some posts or not just posting. Are you feeling? Are you? Are you? You know, God can give you all you need. You know, God. All generic posts that you know that they had scheduled these weeks ago, scheduled posts and all that. 
yet the whole world was upside down or right side up and all sorts of things. So I must tell us that the devil doesn't, doesn't have any other playbook outside this. If you read that, look for it, then the scripture, at the end, the scripture says that the devil left him for a season. And we know that Satan came back because he still tempted him. Because at the end of the day, he said the Lord Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin. So Satan has nothing else to tell you except one of these three. Either the lust of the flesh, the lust of your eyes, or the pride of life. And you can mitigate these things by the fact that if, you, if the word of God dwells in you richly, then what comes out of you is not something Satan can tempt you. Have you ever seen anybody that Satan has tempted with prayer before? Have you seen it before? Satan will say, I want to te- let me test you with three hours prayer before. Have you seen it before? You see Satan tempt you with Bible reading before. Go and read your Bible. Satan will say, Go ahead. I'm tempting you with Bible reading. That's one of the ways you know the voice of God. If, if something comes to say, if, if you have an impression, you are like, go and read the Bible. You don't need to be asking whether it is God or Satan. There is no way Satan will ever say, Satan will never tell you to do anything that can enhance your spiritual life. It's not possible. God do evangelism. Ah, Satan will give you one million reasons why you must not go. Pray for that person. Somebody that doesn't even have your phone number anymore. Read your Bible. Lord, you know I am tired. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Ah, my mouth is praying. <laughs> so if it's anything, once you, once you know it's a spiritual exercise that came to your mind, just know it's not, it's, not, it's not the devil. The devil wants you to sleep by 8 p.m. and wake up by 6.30 the next morning. That is his own, his own thing. The Lord will bless us in Jesus' name. Let's stop here. We'll continue. Just bow down your heads wherever you are. Just bow down your heads and just express yourself unto the Lord. Just express yourself to the Lord. Maybe sometimes next week we'll finally get to define what the school of the Spirit is. We'll get there. But just express yourself unto the Lord. Satan has nothing else to bother you with. If Satan had had any extra ammunition, that day that he went to tempt us, he would have brought it out. But that was all he had. And that was all he did. And then, so by the time the Lord Jesus, he, he couldn't tempt the Lord Jesus with women because the Lord Jesus was already conquered. In, he had already conquered his flesh. He, he, he couldn't tempt the Lord Jesus with women so, because even every time Jesus saw women, the only thing he was thinking was, "Ah, old daughter of Abraham, old daughter of Abraham." That was how Jesus was seen. Jesus was not even seen how long or short the skirt was, or how, whether her cleavage was out or not. All he was seen, ah, oh, this poor daughter of Abraham that Satan has been binding for eighteen years. That's all Jesus saw, because he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of power. He was full. Jesus. The, Jesus handled the whole matter of of pride of life. Like I said, I do of myself, I can do nothing. Everything I do like this is because that's what I've seen the father do. Somebody like that, pride of life cannot overtake him. He will not do anything that the father has not authorized. Untouchable. And, and you know, he conquered his flesh. So he will say, it's not what goes into a man that defies a man, it's what comes out of him. Let the, let the word of God dwell in you. He will help all those things. 
the, by the life that the Lord Jesus lived, it was impermeable to all those things, to all those things. Holy Father, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. As you take us through this training, as you take us through this school, help us. Help us. Help us. Help us to be impermeable to temptations of hell. When Satan comes with the lust for, of the highs, say, look at that thing. No, I refuse. I, I'm not seeing. So, didn't you see that girl that passed that? I mean, I didn't notice. I didn't even notice. When you get to that point, those, God is delivering you from in that aspect of life. Uh, did you see that? No, I didn't. Did you see that somebody, well, good congratulations to them. God will do my own too. Things like when you start to do things like that, you are conquering. You are, what you are doing is you are shutting the door. Doors of, of everything that Satan can bring to you. You are shutting the door. You are closing. Every growth, every understanding of scripture is like a key that shuts. Every time you gain an understanding of scripture, you have gained a key that you can lock a door that Satan cannot open and afflict you through. So just say, Lord, help me. Help me to develop into that child of God that is strong in every way. Jesus was strong in every way. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was strong in every way. He was strong in... Jesus was, Jesus was not hard. It's not that Jesus became wicked. He, 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 Jesus didn't say the, 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 the way to deal with temptation from women was that I'm not going to have any woman in my ministry. No, they were there. They were enjoying the grace of God. They were enjoying the power of God. Yet, there was no problem. He didn't say, I'm going to run away. Jesus didn't run from anybody. Didn't run from the Pharisees. Didn't run from the scribes. Didn't run. Running is the only time that the Bible allows us to run is this flee fornication. Apart from that one, you stand and fight. You don't stand there in terms of fornication and you are speaking in tongues. No. Run as if you are in danger. That's what the Bible says. Run like somebody in danger. But every other time, the Lord Jesus stood and fought. But the only, all Lord, most importantly, the Lord Jesus won because he was subject to the Spirit. He, 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 if the Holy Spirit did allow him, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't do it. Even at the point where the, the one of the points you could you could say are the, the pride of life. We, we did that. The devil brought the bride of life again was when he went to his own hometown. Imagine you are from London. You have gone everywhere. You have done crusade. Birmingham, blame as work, death as sin. Um, Coventry, the power of the Holy Ghost. And then you come back to your hometown wanting, wanting to help your people. And then the Holy Ghost said, you know what? We are doing nothing here. He could have tried to force it. And he would have behaved like Moses where Moses went and the Lord said, speak to the rock and he struck the rock. He said, shall we give you what out of this one? Now it has become a project. It is you and the Holy Ghost doing it instead of the Holy Ghost doing it through you. And at that point, God called him and said, your ministry has ended. If Jesus had forced miracles at his own hometown, he would have healed the sick. He would have raised the dead, but he would have lost sonship. He would have truncated, he would have disobeyed the Holy Ghost. And at that point, he would never have been able to become our, the author of our salvation again. It would have been like that bull for the bond, sin offering that was that, that had stain, and that would have been the end of it. We would have been lost forever. Just say, Lord, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for Jesus. That showed us that it was possible to actually live every second of our lives under the influence of the Holy Ghost. People say uh, you can't be in this. Sometimes people say you can't be in the spirit 24-7. I understand where they are coming from. But Jesus was under, under the influence of the Holy Ghost 24-7. It, 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 the Holy Ghost is not a taskmaster. The Holy Ghost knows when you are tired, when you are weak, when you are struggling. He knows all those things. Yeah, so you, yeah, you can be under his influence and the Holy Ghost say, my, you want to kneel down to pray. The Holy Ghost said, my son, go to bed and go and sleep. The Holy Ghost knows all these things. So Lord, just say Holy Ghost. Lord, he, Holy Ghost, help me to relate with you. Help me to really, really relate with you. Help me to understand you more. Help me to trust you more. Help me to trust you more. Help me to understand you more. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the entrance of your word. Holy Spirit, I just ask that more than we have said, you interpret these words in the hearts of your people. Give us strength give us courage. Help us not to treat symptoms. Help us to treat the root cause. Help us to be strong. Help us to be powerful. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.